to the book of Hebrews. I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 12. Hebrews 8, 6 through 12. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, inspired, prophetic, and fulfilled word to our souls. Father, may we be a people who are not only in the new covenant, but who understand it. May we be those who yearn to behold your glory in Scripture, in what you teach, in what you mean for us to grasp with our minds and love with our hearts. So again this morning, be, be doing that to the glory of your name, I ask in Jesus' precious Behold, the days are coming when I, Yahweh, God, will establish a new covenant. 600 years later, those days came when the angel Gabriel showed up and spoke to a virgin named Mary. At its core, Christmas is about the fulfillment 
of the promise of Jeremiah chapter 31 that our author quotes here. Okay, over the last few weeks, we have seen that when Christ came, he replaced the shadows, the pictures of himself, the pointers, with the reality of himself. That he is our temple. He is our high priest. He is the sacrifice that he offers. He's our, our focus. He, he is our, not Jerusalem, but he, Christ, is our place of worship. We've seen that the, the external, the forms, the rituals fall away. We've seen, as Bob quoted earlier, where Jesus said, no, no, day's coming, where you will worship in spirit and truth and not in a, a place or a form. And that, that radically internal change of heart, which is at the essence of what worship is, that is the fulfillment of the new covenant. That covenant, that pact, that promise that God made is fulfilled precisely in that. In other words, if Jesus came to just undo the temple in outward forms, if, if he suffered and he died and he rose again from the dead, and then the gospel, it goes out and says, believe, know him, trust him. True worship would not happen still inside us. You may do outward forms, but it won't be that which comes from the inside flowing out. But instead, we would quickly take Christ and build religious structures around Him. So if we're to avoid constructing mere willpower religion, then just taking the external forms and rituals and getting rid of them is not enough. What we need is a miracle. What we need is a miracle on the inside of us, at the core of our being, our heart, our affections. Otherwise, we'll do what the world has always done. We'll form religions, we'll form rituals to walk through this life, but not be truly worshiping the one true God. We need the miracle. Okay, um, this, is, th this sermon is a sermon, it's very topical, but it's also exegetical in the text. The topic is simple, the new covenant. What is it? And, and how is it different than the old covenant? That miracle is not merely well, the new covenant came and then produced the miracle. That miracle is what is promised in the new covenant. So let's start with verse 6. 
He tells us, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old. What do you mean? As the covenant he mediates is better. Why? Because it's enacted on better promises than the old covenant. Those better promises are the essence of the covenant where God has promised, I will create real intimate relationship with me, with every single one of those persons who are in the new covenant. And then the author goes on to argue, okay, why? How is the new covenant more excellent? How is it better than the old covenant? And he picks up right there in verse 7 and 8. Look at it. Here's the reason. For if that first covenant, it refers to the law, the law of Moses with its types and its, its shadows and the priesthood and the sacrifices. It refers to that covenant God made with Israel coming out of Egypt. That covenant which was given to them without giving them the promise of the Holy Spirit to enable them to keep it. For if that first covenant, that old covenant, had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, and now he quotes Jeremiah 31, Behold, Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. So verse 7 says the first covenant, it, it was not faultless. But notice verse 8 explains that the fault was with the people. Verse 8, for he... God, Yahweh, finds fault with them. So the problem with the God made this wonderful covenant with the people of Israel, and the problem was them. So who are the them? Who, who, who are they? What exactly was the problem with the people and God's wonderful promises? Or, and say it this way then. What exactly was this old covenant? And the answer, it's right there in front of us. In verses 8 and 9. For he finds fault with them when he says... Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not, here it is, not like the old covenant. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers 
on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. So the old covenant is that which was clearly made with the people of Israel as God delivered them out of Egypt under Moses and God gave the law to Moses. And the law itself was spelling out how the people are to relate to God and God will relate to the people. And they failed to keep it. Verse 9, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so God turned away from them and they suffered judgment again and again and again. That's what he means by, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. So the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is not that the old covenant was conditional. And the new covenant is unconditional. I say that because probably you've all heard people say that kind of thing. No, both, both covenants have conditions of repent, believe, trust me. See, there was forgiveness of sins, mercy offered in the old covenant. Just, I'll turn, or you can either listen, right smack dab in the middle of the old covenant, Exodus chapter 34. Very famous passage, just listen to the words of what Yahweh, of what God says to the people. Starting with verse 6, remember Moses, I want to see your glory. Here, let's put you over in the rock. And then Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love or mercy and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. The essence of relationship with God during the old covenant period of time, it was by faith no different than today. I mean, we're in the end of chapter 8, right? And we all know what's coming, right? We know chapter 11, the hall of faith. Personage after personage after personage under the old covenant as our brothers and sisters. Examples of what? Relationship with God, which comes by faith alone. By faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by faith, by faith throughout. And not only that, it's right there in the covenant, the old covenant, the law itself. 
For instance, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 11, we read, And the Lord, or Yahweh, said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? That's the problem. As the Hebrew writer has already let us know in chapter 3 at the end of it, do you remember? So we see that they, under the old covenant, under Moses, in the wilderness, we see that they were not able to enter the rest God promised because of, quote, unbelief. But during that old covenant period of time, the promises of God's mercy, forgiveness of sins, His goodness, His grace of relationship with Him, here's the point of the old covenant. Those promises, overall, and for the most part, did not get into the hearts of His people. Except for the remnant. The few. So the, the faultiness of the first covenant, of the old covenant, of the Mosaic covenant, of the Mosaic law was not that God gave bad commands or or that he offered no grace. That's not, uh-uh. He did give great commands and he offered unbelievable grace. The problem was that the, the people had hard hearts. Hearts that despised his grace. And thus despised him. Hearts that would not see cherish God and those promises for who He is. So just make sure we get it. Sit there. The old covenant. What's exactly the problem with it? I'm going to look at it from two angles briefly. So first, again, let's go look at the... the first, we're going to look at it from the angle of the problem from us, the human being. That's the problem with the old covenant. And then we'll look at the problem from God who gave the covenant, from God's angle. First, the problem for Israel, and to just stop for a second, and all the nasty stuff that God says about Israel, He just uses that people, sets them apart so that the whole world can see how nasty they are and what they deserve. No matter what language, tribe, people, or nation they come from. That's what they are, that example. And the example at the core is this. Our human nature in which we're born since the fall. It's the nature of sin. That's the problem with the old covenant. We are all born hard-hearted toward God. We live and we move and we have our being in unbelief and rebellion. We refuse to depend upon Him. Oh, we may be very religious in all kinds of 
religions, and even in religions that are from God's book. Just watch how Jesus dealt with many of his fellow Jews. We may do religion, but not have an internal relationship with God as a dependent child who trusts in him. And even today, we're 2,000 years into the new covenant era. Even today, in the guise of Christianity, with the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth, the message of salvation, there are many old covenant religious people who've had no change of heart trust in the gospel and come into a personal relationship with the Father. No matter how many promises God gives under the old covenant model, whether you can be at the base of Mount Sinai and be terrified because God is speaking up there to Moses and you, you see it all, or whether you see the ten plagues and the dividing of the Red Sea, no matter what God does externally to us, or you see the manifestation of God growing up in a Christian church, no matter how many times you hear the gospel, no matter how many times you hear the offer, of mercy or grace. We human beings since Adam will remain hard-hearted and unbelieving and lost in our sin unless God acts upon our hearts. Which brings us to God's standpoint and the difference between the first covenant and the second covenant. See, what we need is those who are by nature God-hating and rebellious is not just to hear somebody tell us the story of Christmas and Easter, and to tell us, believe and you'll be saved. We need that. But we also need God to act. We need God to act by doing what? Raising us from spiritual death in which we're born. Jesus calls it the new birth. Peter calls it the new birth. Another way to say it is what we need is God's enabling power. The power of the Holy Spirit coming in to change our hearts and to bring us to saving faith. That's what brings us to the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant.
Both of those covenants assume hard-hearted sinners because of their spiritual death in which they're born. Since Adam, in Adam, we all died because we all sinned in Him. In the Old Covenant, here's the difference. God made no obligation whatsoever in the Old Covenant to sovereignly enable the people to believe and to obey it by the Holy Spirit. It's right there in the Old Covenant. In Deuteronomy 29, wrapping up 40 years in the wilderness, in verses 2 to 4, we read, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that Yahweh did before your eyes in the land of Egypt. What he did to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. You've seen the great trials that, that, that your eyes saw. The signs and those great wonders. Listen to it. But to this day, Yahweh has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. That's the ultimate reason why the old covenant is inadequate. God gave the law without the promise of enabling the people to keep it, to have a heart for it. And so what does the law then do? It reveals their sin. And according to Paul, it even increases their sin through religiosity. And thus, we need to not just have the command to repent and, and to believe, but we need to be enabled by the Holy Spirit to do so. And that is precisely what the new covenant is, as he says now in verses 10 and 11. For this is the covenant, the new covenant, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here it is. I will put my laws into their minds. And I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And as a result of this, they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for or because 
they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. So let's slowly work through that. Notice three aspects of this covenant, the new covenant. First is this. The covenant is that God is going to do something. He's going to act. I will. I will. I will. And at the core, he's, he's going to what? Write the law, not just on stone tablets out there, apart and external to the persons, but he's going to write that law on their hearts and in their minds. Now, God didn't just have Jeremiah, he had his prophet Ezekiel foretell this new covenant. And, and listen to how Ezekiel foretells the new covenant. In Ezekiel 36, verses 26 to 27, the Lord speaks through him saying, And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, soft. I will put my spirit within you and thus cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. That's the new covenant. Listen to how Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. Oh, Corinthians, Gentile Christians mainly, you show that you are a, no, it's not accident. Paul is permeated with Jeremiah 31 in his theology. You show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written, you're the letter, you're the, you're, you're the piece of paper. You're the letter written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. That's the first thing. God's going to act and write by the Spirit on the heart of every new covenant person. And secondly, that, that miracle on the heart and on the mind, that is, according to the covenant, that is the very establishing of a relationship of God, the owner, and we the subjects. This is a wonderful word. The owned. That's what he means there. I 
will be their God. And they shall be my people. So these new covenant people that by the Spirit written or regenerated or born again, they are God's people in a unique way in which others are not His people. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? I love these words. You are not your own. And then what? Therefore, Glorify God in your body. What a reality. To be owned. No wonder Paul loved the metaphor of slavery when it came to himself being a slave of Christ. And the third thing, let's just begin by reading it. Pick up there in the middle. And therefore they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. It is a covenant. The new covenant is a covenant of an intimate, personal relationship for everyone who's in that covenant. You see, the law, the old covenant, did not bring everyone that was actually in that covenant to personally know Yahweh, to know the Lord. All of the Jews there in the wilderness, the base of Mount Sinai, they were all in the Old Covenant. But most of them were unbelievers. They did not know God. By contrast, in the New Covenant, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves were free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. That's clearly the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. Everyone, if they're truly a new covenant person that is born again by the Spirit, God has written upon their hearts. Every single one of them shall know the Father personally. And this is a child to a loving Father relationship. To know the Father is the essence 
of the new covenant people. Remember how Jesus prayed in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. That they know you, Father, the only true God, and know Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. He doesn't mean no Sunday school lessons about God the Father or Jesus. He means a relationship. Know you. That's why Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 4. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. There's the writing. Crying out. Abba, Aramaic, Daddy. Abba, Father. And he goes on, now that you've come to know God, uh, and then he catches himself, or rather, to be known by God. If you're in here and you know him as Abba, it's because he knew you first. That's why you said, Abba. I, I see it. What a Savior. This message of the gospel rings true to me. Paul's point is, is that you? Then you are to know. That's God's work. That's why that's true of you. He adopted you. And thus he loves you with a perfect fatherly love to a son or to a daughter. This is the new covenant. That term, New Covenant, we can see that it permeates the writer of Hebrews, who most likely was very intimate with Paul. And the New Covenant of Jeremiah 31 and of Ezekiel 36, these were central to the gospel that Paul grasped and understood and taught constantly. Just get a taste of how this new covenant, in other words, works itself out in action. Just listen to Paul starting from Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment. Hear it. Without him using the term new covenant here. Listen to it. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We all once, before we came into the new covenant, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Here comes the new covenant. But 
God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He, God, made us alive together with Christ. He wrote on our hearts. By grace you've been saved. He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's permeated with the doctrine of the new covenant. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, For Jews, we preach. You got, you got to have that part. Here are the facts. And this is what you do, believe. For Jews, they demand signs. And Greeks, they seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. And the result, as Old Covenant people, it's always the result. Jew or Gentile, Old Covenant people. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But he doesn't stop there. Then comes the new covenant. But to those who have God right on their hearts. Of course, he didn't use those, those exact words there. That he said it this way. But to those who are called. Both Jews and Greeks, Christ to them is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is why Jesus came. As we saw last week at the end of that sermon, He came to purchase God's right to do that. And that baby came to grow up and He came to die. As, as He Himself said, for every person whom his father has given to him. And he did. So how do you know you're in the new covenant then? Well, there's, there's evidence that one is in the new covenant. And so before I close, I just want us to not hurry, but look through this evidence by turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul's explicit here. Jeremiah 31 is explicit here. Starting with verse 6, Paul writes, God has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Yeah, well, got it? Jeremiah 31. We're servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter. Written on the outside of you only but of the Spirit written on your heart. Why? Because the letter, if you only have the Bible, 
If you only have Moses, if you only have the Gospel of John on the outside of you, it kills. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, don't misread what Paul means here. This contrast between letter and spirit does not refer to two ways of interpreting the Scripture. Literally or oh, spiritual interpretation is not at all what he's talking about. And it clearly doesn't refer to the distinction made by many people in our day between doctrine and spirit. The contrast in the context, as we continue to read it, it is between an old covenant person and a new covenant person in their relationship to God through the truth that is written in the Scripture. That's the context. This is where we go for evidence. Am I His? Pick up next verse, verse 7, and see it. He goes on. Well, let me just go back to verse 6. We just feel it. God has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry... Here's Paul's description of the old covenant. Now, if the ministry of death... That's his description of it. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, if that's true, will not, here's the new covenant, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the Old Covenant, that is, in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness, the New Covenant, must far exceed it in glory. In other words, he's saying the law of Moses was imposed from without on a rebellious people, and the result was, according to Paul, death and condemnation. But the new covenant is inscribed on people's hearts. All of whom, he says, will know the Lord. From the least to the greatest. Every new covenant person is provided with the inner power by the Holy Spirit in order to love the Scriptures, to love them. The old covenant that God made did not provide that to the people. And therefore, it confronted the people's hearts that were rock hard. And the effect of God's commands to them Paul is saying, was condemnation. And death 
That's why he calls it in verse 7, the old covenant, a ministry of death. Or in verse 9, a ministry of condemnation. God's writing his law on our hearts. What it means is that something has changed. Our desire factor. There's something new that was not there before the wind blew. As Jesus said, no one's entering the kingdom unless they're born again by the Spirit. It means that our affections, I'm going to say this clearly, our affections at their core are changed towards God's Word. That's the context. Not just your idea of God, but His idea of God. Not just your idea of heaven or the afterlife, but His idea of heaven in the afterlife. Not just your ideas of what is moral or immoral, but His idea of what is moral or immoral. Before a person became a new covenant manifestation by the Spirit, the Bible was a burden. Or needed a lot of twisting if I'm going to act religiously. Or it was just neglected, ignored, totally indifferent to it. But then he wrote on your heart. And at the core, what's the evidence of that? It is that the scriptures... The Word of God became your joy because our love for God was imparted to us by the Holy Spirit. Just real quickly, I'm going to read slowly. Jump down to verse 12. In the same passage there, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians. So listen to what he says. Since we have such a hope, we're very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Here, watch this. Here's the Old Covenant. But their minds were hardened. And now in the first century, in the 50s A.D., for to this day, when they, my fellow Jews who don't believe, when they read Moses... Okay, he uses the term here. When they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord, the one you're turning to, is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, is He in you? There's freedom. 
And those of us who are free, we all with unveiled face. Don't miss the context. He's talking about reading Moses. The scriptures. And we with unveiled face are seeing in the scriptures the glory of the Lord. And through that we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Because this comes from the Lord, uh, who is the Spirit, who indwells you. So, what does that mean for us professing Christians, new covenant people? It means let's go on. Pursue knowing a deep intimacy in our relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. A relationship, what do I mean? I mean what the scriptures mean. A relationship with God means that there is communication going on with Him. It means that we, by the Holy Spirit of the new covenant, are open-hearted to His commandments, to the truth about reality that He gives us, to the truth about judgment and about salvation in Christ and about glory and about the future and about the beauty. We have hearts that are open to what He has said in the Scriptures. And His speaking through those Scriptures are made dynamically alive by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And then we reflect that back to Him. It's called prayer. Repentance. It's called taking and praying and singing his word, the truths he gives us that reflect back in repentance, brokenheartedness, joy, thanksgiving, deep gratefulness. And as he says, and in the walking of life, through being transformed from one degree of glory that affects us from the scripture by the Spirit on our hearts. The ongoing knowing and relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit under the new covenant happens by the Spirit through the Word. Being saved in the new covenant, it is about a relationship. Quote, and all of them will know me. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Because Jesus was born to fulfill the promise of Jeremiah 31 and to purchase those new covenant persons for a relationship with the Father, the Son,
in the Spirit. And so he held that cup. And he said, this cup is poured out for you. And it is the new covenant in my blood. Oh, let's adore him and worship him. and Let sounds of thanksgiving over the truth as we close ring from our hearts and our mouths. Thank you, Father, for such a gift that we can look back and see that you sent Jesus to die for me. You took an undeserving wretch of a sinner. Like me. And your wind blew by your tender writing upon us. 